I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. Once you find that, you can locate the 11th verse. We're going to work through some passages, some of this passage today. I actually are going to focus on one particular verse, but I think it's very important for us to kind of see the whole thing that's going on here. Uh, started a new sermon series last week for uh, those of you who weren't able to be here, just so you can kind of catch up. Uh, it is the feel-good sermon series of the century, uh, dealing with mortality and looking at death and uh, kind of looking death square in the face. Last week's sermon was called The Grace of Death. And this is kind of the overarching idea. The grace of death is that God who created us to have a vibrant relationship with himself did not want to leave us in a fallen state. He didn't want to leave us separated from him. And so he's able, he figured out, he he planned a way uh, for us to be reunited with him. And it is through the process of death. So death is this gracious act. So instead of living eternally separated from God... God has a way for us to reestablish our relationship with him. He made us to have this relationship restored. And so through the what we would call the door of death, death is this door back into the garden, back into a right relationship with God. And it is through our mortality and especially the death of Christ. I found a verse this week I found interesting. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. It says this, we must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life. He devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. That's the story of what we talked about last week, that that because of our sin, God banished us from the garden. Adam and Eve were kicked out of paradise. But he devised a way so that they don't have to remain an outcast. That he uh, uh, came up with a way to redeem them. And so what is this idea of what, what is this way that God has devised this uh, for us to come back into him? So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9. What's going on in this, these verses we're looking at is God's explaining a picture that he painted for us in the Old Testament. He's explaining us how he devised for us to come back to him. And so I want to work through this verse until we get down to where we're at a little bit. Uh, and so today we're going to be looking at, last week we looked at the grace of death. Today we're going to be looking at the day of death. This appointed day for all of us. But we're going to first uh, work through some verses here in Hebrews chapter 9. Verses 11 through 12. But when Christ came as the high priest of good things that have come, he entered the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, He did not enter by blood and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. And so the beginning of this uh, passage in in Hebrews 9, God is starting to explain this picture of what's going on. It's much like some of my artwork. Uh, If you were to come, I know you can't see this little tiny picture from where you're at. Feel free to come up and gaze upon my beautiful masterpiece that got me through college. 
uh, at some time. But I can tell you what it is. You can look at it and you can kind of figure it out, maybe think about it, wonder about what's going on. But as the person who made it, as the artist, I can explain to you the, the significant details. How there's a, a little picture, there's a little stick man here made of bones. It represents humanity and it's wrapped up in this coil, meaning it represents kind of modern man. In the background, there's a building um, that has two doorways, two passages in it. One of the passages is completely black and you can't see through it. The other passage, there's a light on the other side of the passage and, and that it represents these two ways on this path that man is on. And there's one that leads to utter darkness and there's one that leads to light. Now, I can explain to you all the, the deep symbols that I came up with when I made this and explained this picture to you so that you can better understand it. That is what God is doing in this passage in Hebrews chapter 9. Throughout the Old Testament, through the sacrificial system, God has been painting a picture for people to see. He's been revealing to them this plan He has, this way of restoring people back to Him. And so in Hebrews chapter 9, He's going to explain how that all comes together. He's explaining this picture for us. So He's explaining the picture, and that's what He's telling us. Hebrews the next couple of verses, verses 13 through 14. So it's telling us that God, is, that this world is a shadow of the real world. The tabernacle built here on earth was a, was a facsimile. It was a, it was a copy of the real tabernacle, the one that was in heaven. And it tells us that God, Jesus went into the real tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle, not this shadow or, or, uh, this other version of it. Verse 13, for if by blood and goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that their bodies are clean, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, purify our conscience from works of the dead so that we may serve the living God. So Jesus went into the heavenly tabernacle and made sacrifice for us in the real tabernacle. And he's like, how much better is that than the system you've been doing? The, the sacrificial system, the, the sacrifices of goats and bulls and heifers. It's kind of, this is the theme of the entire book of Hebrews, really. Jesus is better. Jesus is, in this case, better than the sacrificial system. The sacrifice that Jesus made is by far better than what was done here on earth. This what we have been doing in the sacrificial system or what the Jews were doing in the sacrificial system is nothing but this painting telling about what Jesus is going to finally do in heaven. Verse 15. Therefore, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. Now, as he has died to redeem them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Here it is, the good news that Jesus, the reason of Jesus' death, the reason he went into this heavenly place and, and made sacrifice for us so that we might be redeemed, so that we can be back with God, so we can have the chance to get back into the garden, back into paradise. And so this is the good news of Christ's death, redemption. Verses 16 through 24. In the cases of will, it is necessary to establish the death of the one who made it because a will does not take effect until one who has made it has died. It cannot be executed while he's still alive. 
That is why even the first covenant was put into effect without blood. For when Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took blood of calves and goats along with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll in all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God had commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood on the tabernacle and all the vessels used in worship according to the law. In fact, nearly everything must be purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. So it is necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves, which are better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter the man-made copy of the true sanctuary, but he entered heaven itself. And now to appear on behalf in the presence of God. Just tells us that death is necessary. That sacrifices had to be made. Blood is what brings about forgiveness. And Jesus went into the heavenly place and spilled his blood in the real tabernacle once and for all for our sins. Verse 25 and 26. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But now he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. That this death of Christ is the perfect death. And I have that in quotations because it's, it's this idea of completeness. That Jesus completed the sacrificial system. It was a perfect, it was a complete, it was the once for all death that needed to be made for us to have forgiveness and thus redemption. And then to the verse that I want us to really concentrate on today. Verse 27. As inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once. And after this comes the judgment. So Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many. Will appear a second time for salvation. Without reference to sin. To those who eagerly await him. God has planned this whole thing out. He's, he's enacted a way for us to get back into heaven. And it is through the death of Christ that we have forgiveness. And it is through our own death that we hope to one day pass into that eternal state. The fact of the matter is God is explaining this picture. A part of the picture that we often don't want to look at is the reality of our mortality. The reality of our death. It's interesting how we avoid this idea uh, of death. And, and we've really kind of insulated ourselves from death in a lot of ways. See, the people who are reading this and who are, who are hearing this, these Jewish people who are getting this letter from Hebrews, they would have understood all these ideas of sacrifices. They would have seen over their life, you know, doves slaughtered and goats slaughtered and bulls slaughtered. It was part of every Sunday. They would go and see these sacrifices. Uh, it is once said, I read a, a historical account on the Day of Atonement in Jerusalem that all these people would come to offer sacrifices this one day and there would be so many animals killed that the, the creeks outside Jerusalem would actually run red with blood because there would be so much blood spilled by these animals. Everybody from the nation coming on this one day to make sacrifices. They would have been very, very aware of death because they would have seen it quite often. They would have been there laying their hands on animals themselves. Like this, you are my sin representative and putting their hands on an animal as kind of representing giving the animal their sin and then watching the animal slaughtered right there. We don't see that today. The, the impact of sins, the wages of sin is death. 
has escaped us. Right? Really, in our modern world, we're very, very insulated from death. I mean, how many of you have killed a chicken lately? Maybe a couple people. I find in our modern society, the only people who, who have some regular exposure to death are sportsmen. Uh, you know, these guys who go out and climb up trees and hang out like monkeys waiting for some poor little Bambi to walk by. They get some exposure to this. But us as a whole, we go to the, we go to the store and somebody's done the dirty work for us. And there in a nice little white styrofoam tray wrapped up in plastic is meat. And we've separated ourselves from the horrific acts that are behind that. I remember the conversations with my kids when they were growing up. You know, we we're sitting there and Caleb, Caleb being curious would often, so we're having steak. And he's like, Dad, what is steak? And, well, it's cow, Caleb. Okay, and then later on, well, Dad, we're having pork. What is pork? Well, that's pig, Caleb. And then we went to McDonald's. He said, Dad, what is these nuggets? And I was like, well, I don't really know. (laughs) I was hoping that'd go over. But we don't take time to think about the reality of mortality. We insulate ourselves from it. We don't see it. We don't want to, we don't question it. We try to avoid it. Uh, How many of us, you know, we find ourselves when we go to visit friends at the funeral homes wishing we didn't have to go and we're uncomfortable in those situations. But it is a reality we must face. And that verse is in as much as it's appointed for men to die once. After this comes the judgment. That this is a reality we must face. And so there's three things I think the Bible affirms about, about death that I'd like for us to consider. Three biblical affirmations about the day of death, about our death, about this reality that I think we should consider today. As we take time, as uncomfortable it is, to look death in the face once again. First, the day of death is set. It's set. It's appointed as as in as much it is appointed for men to die. It's backed up within the scriptures from Psalm 139, verse 16. says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That God understands the spans of our lives. We don't know how many days we have, but God does. It's an appointed thing. And so there's a, there's a bit of comfort with that, that we struggle with the not knowing, but we can rest assured that God already knows. Uh, I, I find myself when I deal, you know, visiting sick people, especially people who, who have, you know, really catastrophic prognosises, uh, they always are asking the doctor how long, how long, and, you know, doctors make some kind of guess at that. And it's interesting, it seems to give those people comfort because they, they think they can now grasp the length of their days. You know, and they will often uh, say phrases like, well, you know, it's just now I just live one day at a time. The, the difference I find between those who have catastrophic prognoses and those of us who don't, they live one day at a time. We think we're living more than one day at a time. And the fact of the matter is we all live one day at a time. We don't know if today is our last day or not. 
Just because someone says you might live X amount of days doesn't make it so. And just because no one's given you that prognosis doesn't mean you've got more days than they do. We don't know. God does. And we all live one day at a time. Job realized this. He says, since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. That not only is the God the giver of life, but as Job would say, God giveth and God taketh away. That he understands this appointed day for us. And it is a reality. I think that if we don't look at, we are not looking at real life. The second affirmation that the Bible says, it's appointed and it's coming quick. This is kind of the bad news. Now, this is a perspective on how you define quick, because if you're 10 today, you don't think it's coming so quick. If you're 50 today, you realize it's a lot quicker than you thought it was. If you're 70 today, you're like, boy, it was fast. But the Bible tells us that this thing we call life is really very, very, very short. From James chapter 4, verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. On Sunday morning, it's quite frequently. I, I get to the church between 7 and 7.30 on Sunday morning. It's pretty frequent this time of year that coming up off the river, much of Clarion is in some kind of mist. By the time we leave at noon, it's usually gone. The sun has melted it away. It lasts really for only a short amount of time. Job 7, 7 says again, remember that my life is but a breath. <sighs> That's pretty quick. My eyes will never again see happiness. This is what he's, he's struggling with. He realizes that this life has been passing him by quickly. Psalm 39, 5. You indeed have made my days as hand breath, my lifetime as nothing before you. Truly each man at his best exists as but a breath. The psalm we read uh, from 90 this morning says, you know, 70 years. And if you're really lucky, if you're really strong, maybe 80 years that we have. Psalm uh, 144, uh, 144.4 also says, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow and so life is quick life is very very quick but the good news behind this passage it says in as much as it's pointed man to die once then comes the uh, then comes the judgment after this comes the judgment and so death is not the end because it's a die and then after this comes judgment so there's something beyond death this is a universal idea that, that is really the foundation of just about every world religion. Almost every culture in the world has some concept of life after death. This is a, a universal thought uh, from, from some uh, tribe or some unknown people in South America, somewhere on the Amazon River, to, to people in the most developed cities all around the world. They've had this universal idea, this longing, this question, this seeking for life. Some people believe this is a, this is a, a evidence of God's existence, that, the, that we are born within our hearts some longing, some thought of life after death. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the hall of fame of the faith, all these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them, having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. All these, Abraham, Noah, Moses, Sarah, uh, Gideon, all these great men and women of the Bible, they died without seeing it, expecting to receive it somewhere in the future. That they, they lived a life of faith and their faith was not in the moment, not in serving God today that would bless them, but the God who would be their God in a future home once they pass from this life into what the hebrew writers were saying is the real life where god is and where the real tabernacle is and where jesus is already the whole uh first corinthians chapter 15 talks to christians about our faith this whole chapter is based on resurrection on the idea of life after death and it says if we have hope in christ in this life only we are men most to be pitied that, that really the basis of Christianity is not having good life now. It's having good life after life. Or, as C.S. Lewis would refer to it, the real life. That we would leave these shadow lands behind and enter into real life, the eternal life. And that is our hope. And so death is not the end. And that's very, very important for us to understand. So if we look at those three realities... Death is appointed. It's really going to happen. It's really going to happen quicker than you expect it to happen. And it's not the end. What would you do in reaction to those three affirmations? Well, let me give some maybe quick advice here. One, plan for evacuation. This is coming. Think about the hurricane. You've heard this all week. So it's a good week to tell you. Plan for your evacuation. One. So we must decide where we're going. Where are you going to go when the storm comes? When when this reality is there. Today is the day of preparation because the storm is coming. Three things to consider. Settle your own destination. Make a decision about where your eternal state will be. There, like in my picture, there's two choices for you to face. You can decide to make sure you're going back into the garden, into paradise, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Seeking Him for salvation. says He's going to return for salvation. So that where He is, we may be also, as it says in John chapter 14. So first, settle your own destination. It's interesting in this passage, back in verse 27, it says, As in as much it's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. Catch that die once. Because if you'll remember one of the verses I read last week from Revelation, it talks about a second death. That's an unappointed death. You don't have to die twice. You do have to die once. That's a physical death. And what the second death is in, in the Bible is eternal separation from God. When it talks about death and and hell was cast into the lake of fire, that is the second death. That's not an appointed one. You can have life or you can have a second death. Your choice of life and death is in the eternal state where you will be. And so settling that you're not going to die but once, that you will be resurrected to life is a very important choice to make. Next, after you settle your destination, inform others where you will be. I was doing this all week. Dad, where are you going to be at over the next few days? My family lives in North Carolina, by the way. My stepsister lives in Moorhead City, which is where the major storm. Is Stacy staying in Moorhead or is she coming to your house? 
Why is she staying in Moorhead? Why didn't she come into your house? And this was the conversations I had this week. I wanted to know where she was at. She was telling my dad, this is where I'm going to be at. I'm going to be in the apartment. We're going to stay here. We're going to ride this thing out. There's too many people who can't leave. And so once you decide where you're going to be, I would encourage you, let other people know where you're going to be. It's one of the greatest things I try to do with my children. Carly, I'm not going to be around forever, but I want you to know where I'm going to be. And if you want to get to me, that's where I'm going to be. So why don't you come and be with me in eternity? And so that leads us to the third idea. Inform others where you will be and then give them directions on how to get there. Let them know where you're at. Decide where you're going to be. Let them know where you're going to be and give them directions on how to find you and be there with you. So this is planning for evacuation. The second idea, invest wisely while you wait. We are in this waiting period. We're in this thing called life. The Bible says 70 years, maybe 80. And invest wisely in things. Spend your time on things that matter. Here's a, a, a maybe something that you can understand. I often think about it like this. I, I used to use this when I worked with the kids. You know, I worked in a, a therapeutic wilderness camp and there would be boys coming into my program. They would, they would be there for about a year, year and a half. They'd had troubled lives, you know, and a year and a half to a, to a 13 year old sounds like eternity. And so I would, I would do this with them. I would say, okay, so look here, Johnny, you're 13 years old. There's 12, 13. There's 13 years. Now let's imagine you're going to invest. You're going to, you're going to give your all while you're in camp. You're going to work on your issues. You're going to work on your family issues. Your family's going to work on their issues. And in a year and a half, you're going to get back reunited and it's going to be worth it. So we're going to, here you are at 13. So we're going to invest this much right here. And then you're going to live 70 years. Look how much more you got once you make this little investment. That's how we should live life, right? This is what we should think about. Investing in things that have eternity. Let's see, I'm 48, so that would be four feet. 47. That's about my life right now. Now, if the scriptures are right, I can get to 70, so that would be six feet. 72, I hope to make it that long. There. This is my life. This is one inch being a year. This is how much time I can look forward to having. But... What if I invested in eternity? Am I close? Oh, 80 feet, another 20. You start to get the idea of what eternity is. Now, was that first 70 inches, if I invest it wisely, is it worth all the rest of that? And so when we take our time, we should invest it in eternity. We should realize it's a precious, brief 70, 80 years. Some of us may stretch it out to 90. But when we invest that in eternity, it makes a difference. Invest it in things that will last not things that won't make it past the 70-inch mark. The other important thing is then store up with anticipation. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says this. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we invest wisely, as we use our time, our energy, our emotions, our, our mental capacities to, to affect eternity, to minister to people, to, to share the gospel with other people, to do works that, that our Lord will reward us for, to, to, uh, that He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're storing up treasures in heaven. And the more treasure you have in heaven, the more you're going to long for heaven. Because that's where your heart will be also. And so just thinking about some of the things you could store up. I think the first one is is sharing back to sharing with people where you're going to be at. I want people in heaven with me. And so sharing the gospel with them is helping store up other souls in heaven so that when I get there, they will be there. Just like my grandmother, my grandfather poured into me, told me where they were going, told me and taught me the Bible. And they're now in heaven. I look forward to being with them again one day because those are precious souls that I care about. Investing our, our money, investing our time, investing our emotional and mental resources so that when we enter that place, our Father will say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter into my joy. Receive the inheritance that you have stored up here for yourself. And so we work wisely and we store up with this anticipation. Like, like those people in Hebrews 11, we look forward to this great country that we're going to. We're excited and we made investments there. So to wrap up my final illustration, something... So thinking of heaven kind of like a bank, something that we are pretty familiar with this week. Everybody's seen this, and I think it's a really good illustration. The storm's coming. It's called mortality. It's not Florence. It's mortality. And it's on the horizon, and it's moving this way. It's moving quicker than we think it is, even though we know it's not there. And as we sit here today... And think about our mortality, the day of death. It's appointed. It's coming quick. And it is not the end. There's, there's three things I think we can do today. If we're diligent, if we realize this reality, like the people did in the, on the North Carolina coast over the last week, what did they do in the days leading up to that? They got ready. They started getting prepared. There's three different roles we can act in this world when we think about the storm of mortality. One, we can be the officials. We can do what all the officials we, we heard and saw on TV did this week. What did they say? Evacuate. Get out. Have a plan. Be prepared. Prepare to evacuate. They sang out. They called out. Preparation. The storm is coming. And I think we need to talk to people about the reality of death. We need to be those officials. This is going to happen. Be prepared. Have your evacuation plan laid out. We can be the people in the situation who desperately started getting ready think about it if we took preparation for mortality as serious as we took preparation for a hurricane i called my dad he said he went to walmart the other day he said he just went to, wanted to go see what it was like he said it was a madhouse 
There's people running everywhere. There's no food on the shelves. All the bread was gone. They left all the milk for some reason, but they got all the bread. They got all the canned goods and, and the shelves were clear. He said, he watched somebody. He said they, they brought out a new pallet of water and they couldn't hardly get the plastic off of it. He said, people are diving in and just grabbing this stuff, throwing the things, jerking it out of each other's hands. Why? Because they're desperate because they know the storm was coming and they were desperately trying to prepare themselves. Are we half as desperate? And preparing ourselves for eternity? Or are we just kind of like, eh, it's going to happen one day. I'll get the supplies sometime. Not too worried about it. We're nonchalant about it. I think if you're that desperate in a hurricane, you should certainly be that desperate for eternity. That you would be feverish in making sure you're prepared. And then the other role we could play in this storm, we could be those rescuers. The story of people like those those guys that came out of Louisiana, uh, you know, the Bayou Navy or whatever they were called. You know, they bring their boats. They got all their stuff ready. They staged themselves outside so that as soon as the floodwaters rise, what did they do? They intentionally put themselves in harm's way so that they might rescue someone else. And we, too, could intentionally put ourselves out there trying to find people who are drowning and going down, who don't realize the truth of mortality and certainly don't realize that there is salvation from this fallen world. And so we can be the officials calling out the danger. We can be the people themselves preparing for the danger. Or we could be rescuers out trying to tell the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That was God's picture in the beginning. That was his big plan. Not that you would just die and that would be it. But that you would die and have the hope of resurrection, life eternal, back in the garden, in paradise with God. That was the start. That was his plan. And this is the reality in which we live. May we go and call out the warning prepare ourselves for the storm and be a rescuing voice to those who need it.